I think there's something poetic about the fact that we're doing this together as a family on Father's Day when, when we're celebrating dads, but also we're celebrating ultimately people coming to know God as their father. And um, we've got the, the names of the people who are going to be baptized, actually most of whom unusually today are not adults. Um, they're either uh, infants having their, the vows made on their behalf or their children who are at the point where they want to make it um, official for them. They want to say these vows for themselves. But they've all been named. And whenever um, you choose a name for a child, you pick it carefully. Uh, I have four boys. And I remember when my, um, my third son, Caleb, he was um, at 20 weeks. We had a scam. And he was diagnosed with a, a really serious heart condition. Um, and we knew that when he was born, he was going to have to have a big operation a month after he was born. So the moment he was born, he was taken from the maternity unit to the Royal Brompton Hospital in London. And uh, we, we really thought and prayed carefully about what to name him. And the name that we gave him in the end, we felt, was um, from God, was Caleb. And the name Caleb means wholehearted. And we gave that to him on purpose, almost as a declaration, um, as an act of defiance, if you will, that this is, this is his future, that he is a boy who is wholehearted, not just physically, um, but in lots of ways as well. And, and if there's a name that has significance more than any other, a baby who was named, and it was a big deal, um, surely that would have to be Jesus. And in the story of Jesus, uh, if you know the story, you'll know that um, Mary became pregnant and Joseph, the husband, had nothing to do with it, or the, the fiancé, so he decided he was going to divorce um, Mary. And then an angel appeared to him and kind of interrupted him as he was thinking about how he was going to go about this divorce. And it says in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And so just in that one little moment, you see that Jesus is given his, his name, the name Jesus, not because he's to be our example, although he is our example, and we want to live like him. Uh, not because He's not given the name Jesus because he's, he's full of wisdom, although he's the wisest person to ever walk the earth. He's given the name Jesus because he's a saviour. And what the name means, the, the Hebrew for that name, because uh, Jesus is the Greek version, is Joshua. But in both, whether it's Greek or it's Hebrew, the name means the Lord saves. Yahweh or God saves. Put another way, it means God to the rescue. So every time we say the name Jesus, every time we sing the name Jesus, any time we pray in the name of Jesus, when we say the word Jesus, what we're actually saying is God to the rescue. And any time, you know, anyone who's been a Christian for more than a few years, I feel like, needs constantly to be realigned. In the same way that if you have a bad back and you have to go back to the chiropractor again and again and again because your back just keeps slipping out of posture. They have to crack it back into the position it's meant to be. So often, our thought patterns as followers of Jesus need to be cracked back into place. And I became a Christian when I was 17 years old and I found I needed to be realigned again and again and again. But also, what I've discovered over the years is I, did, I thought I knew what Christianity was. And I found out since that I, I thought I'd rejected it when in fact I didn't really understand what it was in the first place. I didn't know what it was I was really rejecting. And one of the ways the story of Christianity unfolds is it's different 
from one of the big modern narratives in our world. So one of the great kind of like themes, and you've probably seen millions of films that have basically effectively got the same plot. It's the story of the hero. The story of the hero who rises up and overcomes great odds in order to achieve some kind of a victory. Um, I love all sorts of films, but I do quite like watching old films. The Rocky series. I don't know if anyone here has watched Rocky, any of the Rocky series. The, the new version is Creed. That's pretty good as well. Um, but basically, any of those seven films, Rocky and Creed, they've all got effectively the same plot, which is that Rocky's down and out, or whoever it is, their life's not really going anywhere, then they get an opportunity, shot at the big time. And they realize that they can't do it. You know, they, 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 they realize whoever they're boxing is just too good for them. But then they go on a journey. They basically go through an 80s training montage where there's like Rocky lifting logs and growing a beard and shouting and screaming and the eye of the tiger playing in the background. At the end of which anyone watching it also feels like they can do and achieve anything at all. So Rocky goes through this moment and also he has a trainer in the early films this old guy called Mickey, who's like been there, done it, got a map of the world on his face. And he speaks to Rocky and he calls out all this stuff from inside him. You can do it. You're like a piece of steel. You're like iron. Hitting you is like hitting iron. Like you're a warrior. You're a fighter. You've got this kid. Come on, right? And that's, that's basically the plot. And so Rocky realizes he can do it. And then he gets into the ring and you think, he's never going to do it. This guy's too good. He's too experienced. He's the greatest boxer on the planet. And then Rocky gets knocked down in like round four and it counts. He's going, it's like one, two, three. But then he sort of remembers the montage that he's already lived through. He remembers Mickey and all the things Mickey yelled at him. And Rocky picks himself back up off the mat somehow. And he manages to, with a few final punches in the last round, win the round and win the world title and become the champion. And we love that story. And we listen to it again and again in different ways and different formats because it speaks to what we think life is like, which is this idea that somehow we have to look deep inside ourselves and become a hero. And if we can do that, if we can say the right things, if we can believe in ourselves in the right ways, then we too will be able to overcome the challenges of life and win the victory. That's the story that's very popular today. It is not the story of Christianity. The story that Christianity tells, the lens, if you will, that it puts on the world around us, is not kind of a, a made-up story about a boxer, but it, it, to me, it reminds me more of a true story of something that happened back in 2010. There was this uh, mine that was in northern Chile. I don't know, you probably remember seeing this on the news. Uh, it was a gold mine, a copper mine, and that one day, all the miners went down into the mine, and there was a cave-in, and it, it, the mine collapsed. And it sparked this kind of huge rescue effort and the first thing that, that the rescuers needed to do was establish, is anybody alive? So they put all these kind of little drills down into the mine with probes to try and test for life. And eventually, one of these drill bits came back out, and there was a note taped to the end of the drill bit. And the note said, um, I've got it written down, we are well in the shelter, the 33 of us. 33 of these miners have been trapped inside, and they managed to sort of survive and then the rescue effort amped up and the Chilean government got involved, NASA got involved, all these different mining corporations joined up together. This, this whole tent village grew up around the, the entrance. To, do you remember seeing this on the news? Grew up around the entrance to the mine with the families and the friends of the miners who were trapped there. They held prayer meetings every single day praying for them. 
And uh, it was this kind of this ordeal that, that really many people thought it was impossible to rescue them because when they were trapped, they were trapped beneath 700 meters of solid rock. And they had to drill through that, but also drill through that in a way that wouldn't cause a cave-in. And so they started three different holes, and eventually one of the holes broke through, and they managed to get this kind of this capsule, a rescue worker, got in the capsule, went down, got miners one by one into the capsule, and they took them back up to freedom. And eventually, after 69 days, I mean, we're, we're, we watch this on the news in a detached way, but just imagine being in the darkness of a mine with 700 meters of rock above your head for 69 days. I mean, for the first six hours, even with their torches, they couldn't see anything because there was so much dust and rubble that was caused by the, the collapse. And eventually, after 69 days, 5.3 million people watched live as they brought the final miner out of the of the cave, the guy that had really led them through it. And he said, in an understatement of the century, that was a long shift. <laughs> um, and you know what? They, 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 while they, they were down there, all this sort of stuff happened. There's all these documentaries that they made about them. Like this one guy proposed to his long-term girlfriend who was on the surface. She accepted the proposal. Uh, whilst he was in the mine, another guy had to watch his first child being born on a live stream um, while he was down at the bottom of the mine. So they went through all of this. And absolutely, if you see their story, you can see they acted heroically, no doubt about it. They did better than almost any of us, I think, would in a situation like that. But if you are, it doesn't matter, here's the point. If you're buried beneath 700 meters of rock, it doesn't matter how heroic you act, you cannot dig yourself out. The only way you're getting out is if somebody comes down to get you. The only way you're going to break free is if somebody breaks in. And the message of Christianity, the story of Jesus, it starts with this thing that sounds like such bad news when first you hear it. I was a little bit surprised and a little bit shocked to discover that it sounds like you're trapped because the message of Jesus it says here, he comes to save his people from what? From their sins. Sins is an unpleasant word, and it's one we don't like to think about. It's this idea of our, our brokenness, our lack of wholeness, our selfishness, our mistakes. And the message of Jesus starts with this really uncomfortable truth that we are trapped, not beneath 700 meters of rock, but beneath, as it were, 700 tons of our own mess, our own selfishness, and that we cannot, no matter how much we try to become a hero we imagine we might want to be, we cannot break free. And then it goes on from there. And this idea of, of sin, for me, I just thought, I don't get it, right? Because, because when I was growing up, I'd compare myself to all these horrible people on the news who did horrible things and think, well, I'm not like you. You know what? I'm all right. Um, but when I came to understand it a little bit more, I, I, the thing that really got me was, let me put it like this. When I was a student, <clears throat> I had to learn to cook for the first time. And my cooking wasn't great. And my signature dish was spaghetti bolognese, which was basically put the mince in the pan and buy a pot of Dormio and bon appetit, right? But I was very proud of my spaghetti bolognese. Until one day, Beth, my, my girlfriend and I, we got, at the time, she was my girlfriend, we got, uh, we got a voucher to go to one of these Jamie's Italians. 
So we went to this Jamie Italian restaurant, and I thought while I'm sitting there, I'll try his spaghetti bolognese. I'll see how it compares to mine. And so I order the spaghetti bolognese, and it arrives, and I, and I stick a big sort of like, get a big forkful on there and just put it in my mouth and taste it. Now, up until that moment, I thought what I had been making was spaghetti bolognese. And I realized when I tasted Jamie Oliver spaghetti bolognese that I had, in fact, been making diarrhea in a pan. <laughs> because honestly, that's what mine was like in comparison. And it's by itself, I was like, this is pretty good. And then I realized, oh my word, this, this sucks. This is terrible. And, and when we talk about coming to understand our selfishness, not, we're not saying let's just talk about how bad we are, but, but to look at his goodness. Jesus comes to show us not just what God is like, but what humanity is meant to be. Perfect love, selflessness, compassion, justice, humility. And it's seeing him that helps us to see, I, I don't know if I can self-improve my way out of where I am. And the message is, you don't have to. Because the whole point is, God saves. God, the, the rescue has happened. The rescue has started. And just like when that worker descended, the rescue worker down that shaft of the mine from the place of light into the darkness that they were trapped in, so what happened is God, he himself, in the person of his son, became one of us, descended into our darkness, that he might bring us into the light. He did it through just becoming one of us. He did it through his death on the cross, the darkness of the tomb. He did it ultimately through his resurrection, defeating all of that to bring us from darkness into light. And that's how you get in. People often feel like, how do I come to know God? How, how can I come to know him for myself? I don't know if you've ever asked that question, but it's a big one. And the answer that Jesus gives is so different from any other worldview you'll ever come across, any other faith. It's not just different by a degree, like this is one shade of brew and this is a slightly different one. It's not just different by, by, by a it's, it's radically different. Um, think about it like this. Whenever you start a relationship, uh, well, often, if you're, for example, trying to date somebody, usually what, what we do is we think about it in terms of what can I offer, right? What can I bring to this relationship? If I'm going to get in to, with this person, I need to have a few things that I can offer to them. And it's kind of, you see it at its most raw online. So whenever we're, we're kind of like writing a dating profile, it is an effective kind of like, I'm writing my CV here. This is, the dating profile is just a few sentences that are the bait on the end of a hook. That it's like, if I can get them to, you know, so it's important. So people put thought into, how do I present myself in the best possible way? And there are various approaches that people try when writing dating profiles. I actually Googled a few different options. I'm going to read some of these real-life dating profiles to you now, right? Some people, they take the honest approach, as in the case of this person who wrote, you're smart, this ain't your first rodeo, and you're not about to fall for the preposterous claims made by so many of the profiles on this site. So here's a refreshing perspective, the truth. I pay my mortgage. I wear socks that match. I'm an honest man with a decent career and strong values. So while I could regale you with stories of my trips to Paris or how I resemble Ryan Gosling, I know that good communication is a foundation for every relationship. So if we're on the same wavelength, 
read on. I don't know how many of you would click and be drawn by that kind of a profile. Some people, what they do is they go for the opposite end of the spectrum, and they exaggerate. So, as in the case of this person who said, I am a rocket scientist. I've appeared on the cover of GQ twice, and after mastering Italian, I became an international super spy. Right now, I'm yachting my way across the Caribbean, stealing top secret information and sipping Mai Tai, shaken, not stirred. And then they say, okay, fine, I exaggerated, just a smidge. But I do like a good Mai Tai, and I got a B plus in my fifth grade science class. <laughs> Some people, they go for just like pithy little one-liners. They just go for a bit of fun. Um, this is one I liked. This is from a, a lady who, she's, her, for her job, she's, it says, a respiratory therapy student. So she's basically a medical student focusing on helping people breathe. And her one-line dating profile is, cute enough to take your breath away, smart enough to bring it back. <laughs> Good, right? And then this person, this is somebody else. She said, I'm the kind of girl you can take home to your family. I will then get closer to them than you are and will slowly phase you out. <laughs> That's a description of my wife, I can tell you. Um, anyway, so, but whatever it is, it's like, here's my CV. Here's what I bring to the relationship. And we do that with each other. Do you think we do it with God? However we understand, whatever we understand God to be, we, of course we do. We do it to, to, to such a degree. Like, I've got to be good. I've got to, how do I earn my way into the relationship? That's the approach. And you know what? Here's the message of Jesus. You can't. You won't. You're trapped. You're imprisoned. You're, it's beyond. Don't look for the hero inside yourself to try and find a way of getting into relationship because it's never going to happen. But the good news is this. The only qualification we need to come to know him is to understand we don't qualify, that we can't do it. We don't bring to him our doing, we bring to him our need. The point where we meet God is not our goodness. Incredibly, it's our badness. It's not our riches, but our poverty. It's not what we have to offer, but the lack of anything to offer. That's where we meet him, where we say, yes, I want to be yours. And then I hear that, and the question that rises up in me is, really? So God saves. The Lord saves. God to the rescue. It's that simple. All I need to do is trust him. Is that, is that what you're saying? What is the catch? There is a catch, I have to be honest. And the catch I found out is, when you give your life to God, what he expects is, uh, when you come to know him, we give him everything. So he gives us all of himself. But in return, we surrender our lives into his care. That is the catch. But I don't know if catch is the right way of putting it, because that's a little like I offer somebody my kind of worn out, you know, knackered old clothes, and they, they in exchange, give me an Armani suit. It's, like, it's, like, it's a catch in the same way that if Jeff Bezos, the wealthiest human being on the planet, the guy that owns Amazon, came to me and said, hey, Andy, I want to exchange bank accounts with you. That's the catch. It's like, I will give you, Andy, all of the money in my bank account, and in exchange, I want all of the money in yours. That's, that's, I'd be mad not to take that. That's what we're talking about. That's how you come in. And in a moment, when we baptize our friends here, we're going to be celebrating the fact that they have said yes to the God who rescues them. Now, just to finish, for those who've been following him for a little while, 
this doesn't just affect us as we come to know him. And this is the other thing that really is important. The way in is the way on. It's every day coming to understand that, that Jesus means the Lord saves. That we are not now living a life where we have to be our own hero. Because what we're doing is putting our trust in a hero, in somebody who is greater than we are. And we face every fight knowing that the hope is not how skilled we are, but how good he is. The Lord saves.